Welcome to the EDU Podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. This podcast is brought to you by Capture One Pro. With the most reliable tether workflow, combined with the most robust image processing, Capture One Pro 10 is the choice of working pros. Unlock the potential of this powerful tool by downloading your free 30-day trial at CaptureOne.com. In episode two, we sit down with Eric Valland. It's not Valland. Eric just made me do a second take because I mispronounced (laughs) his last name. So now I feel like an ass. But we are in WPPI. Eric, you've just gotten off the WPPI floor. Yes. Talking, teaching. All of the above. All of the shaking hands, kissing babies. Shaking no, hands and you. kissing babies. That's am- that's amazing. So, Eric, for our viewers that don't know who you are, how would you describe your work? Who are you as a photographer? Um, I'm a bright, bold, energetic, active lifestyle photographer. So, what I shoot is people having fun, doing what they love, generally outdoors, in perfect light. In perfect light. That's a lie, isn't it? It's oh, I mean, it's light. perfect after we're done with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you can tell that from light. the portfolio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, how did you get to where you're at now? Like, you're in New York. How did you get there? Give me the the rundown. What's on your pathway? Pathway. Okay. Um, I've come through a couple different markets. So, I'm, I'm originally from Florida, and that was the inspiration behind all this because I grew up on a place called Treasure Island. That's a beach like a half mile long, pretty much born on a sailboat. So, growing up, um, it's like paradise, man. It's 365 days. A year beautiful sunshine beaches grew up surfing skimboarding wakeboarding all that kind of stuff so um always had a camera in my hand and that kind of informed my style and my my content my subject matter because it was like what else do I want to shoot I mean you kind of I was born into the best case scenario you know this is what people work to retire for so I just wanted to kind of capture that energy that lifestyle and that it's sunny all the time so I like that lens flare I like that big bright aesthetic vibrant colors saturated blues the ocean so yeah, that's where I draw my inspiration from that way. But um, my grandfather was a commercial photographer, so he raised he a family of five in Wisconsin off of that. He was a catalog guy. It's like pots and pans, cheese catalogs. Right on. Yeah. What was he shooting for? Who, who was it? Was um, it like Sears or something big catalog? Yeah, I, it was like manufacturer direct because they had a lot of manufacturing up there. So uh, toy companies, a bunch of pot and pan companies, some of the big shipping, like the boats themselves. Um, he had a huge mattress client for forever. Literally cheeses. Um Oh, here's a good one. Jellystone Parks. Remember those? The Yellowstone Parks? Yeah, absolutely. All the ads, my grandfather shot those, and all the kids in the ads were my mom and my aunts and uncles and my grandmother. (laughs) Wait, what are Jellystone Parks? Oh, they're little tiny, like... um like snow road, globes? Ro- no, no, they were roadside little camping parks. So you could go in and, and you could, right? You could yeah. set up um, a camp. You could stay there, and they had, you know, stuff for kids to do. Just, they were like just a little place. There was seesaws. There's yeah. There's one campfires. Out, um, I think they're, they're I, are they still around? Because I think there's one out in Eureka past uh, Six Flags. There's a jelly. So it's just a little campground. Yeah, it's a little campground, and they got little activities for kids, and they got little stuff to do. I think like That's, a KOA campground. Yeah. 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 Right. So, but totally family. Look at me. Learning stuff. Jelly campground. Jelly. What was it? Jellystone. Jellystone. Boom. I seriously think that there's one not far from where we live, and you should take your wife. You should take me. What are you talking about? (laughs) Just take me camping, Rob. I will. You've never taken me camping. I have. I'm sorry. You're a jerk partner. (laughs) (laughs) If that's the only reason I'm a jerk partner, I'll take it. (laughs) We haven't gone camping. Okay. Uh, This might be the first podcast, Rob, and I don't fight. 
fist really? fight. We've been right, in we fist fights. Well, we're gonna draw this out so we drink a little more, and maybe I can bait you guys into something. So yes, make it work. <laughs> so, did you ever think of going into product? Did you ever try your hand at product? Um, I still shoot a good amount of product. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's um. Not something I show. You always show the work that you want to get, but if I have a smaller client where they're coming to me for all their needs, I'll shoot their you know active lifestyle, their advertisements, and then I'll also do their catalogs, their line sheets, their product stuff, the whole nine. Do you enjoy it? Um, I'm a lighting nerd, so I enjoy the technical aspect of product photography, but fuck, if you put me in a box with no windows and inanimate objects for too long, I'll lose my mind. Yeah. And for too long, I mean like maybe half a day. <laughs> <laughs> you would not make a good product photographer. <laughs> so, yeah, on the flip side, Rob is an inanimate object photographer. I love it. He's pretty, he's act, an, animated. Yeah. yeah. I'm an animated dude, but I shoot, you know, food and booze and it doesn't really move. It's yeah. pretty inanimate. So, but it's well, fun. It's hard to dislike food and booze though. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So do you think by having the work on your website that is product and having a diverse amount of work, that's going to hurt you in the long run? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially in the market that I'm in, uh, if you're in a smaller market or you're like a regional photographer, being a generalist isn't a bad thing because you don't know where your next job's going to come from to pay the bills. Yep. But uh, being in New York City, it's an oversaturated market as it is, so you need to specialize. And I think that's that's if you want to be shooting for higher-end clients in any in any genre. I'm sure you, this is, you've heard this over and over again through the podcast. But, I mean, Nike's not going to hire you if you're the guy shooting, you know, bar mitzvahs on the weekends and showing that in your portfolio. So, yeah, it's um, a tight edit to show the work that you want to shoot that you want to get hired for. And then if I receive requests from clients or I have current clients that, you know, do you do this? Can you do stop motion? Have you ever done any motion? Well, then I'll throw them a reel or I'll show them a, like a private portfolio, but I don't show that um, unless it's requested. Right. So what about video work? Are you, how much of video work are you doing? Are you even getting into that? Yeah. Um, I shot a TV commercial in Michigan the first three months after moving there. It was for big boy restaurants. So it was one of their statewide commercials. And it was with an agency that I had been working with in Florida. I had moved up there. They, re they referred me for the job. And I don't think the folks in Michigan knew that I had only been there for three months. <laughs> I mean, I had like freshly moved from Florida straight over to Detroit. And all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, we've got our statewide spot. We need, you know, product placement, video clips all over the state. I went to Mackinac Bridge and Sleeping Bear Dunes and, and all over. And um, I kind of get the brief and I'm like, shit. Okay, so I, I go to I go to uh, what's Barnes and Nobles, and I pull up an atlas, and I pull up the tourist guide to Michigan, and I was like, so what exactly are all the key spots in Michigan that uh, I should be photographing? So I hired a local crew for that, um, and then uh, a local PA camera operator, and then I did some research on it, and then working with the agency, it worked out well. So, so how did you get to Detroit? Yeah, back up. How did you go from Florida? <laughs> oh yeah, we, to we, we skipped over a little bit. Um, yeah. You got to give us this timeline. Yeah, so I uh, I'm from Florida originally. I went to UCF for business over there. Um, I think I went to photo school for a couple months and got disillusioned. I mean, I was, I was doing these multi-light rigs, basically photo booths in a bar, but they were environmental portraits. So I was like lighting a whole section of a, a neat bar or a venue and um, just having fun taking pictures that way. And I walked into photo school down there and showed on some photos and they're like, oh, this is great, but we're not going to learn lighting for till your third year and oh, you're shooting wow. digital, but you know, we won't even do color film till next year. Like the first year is all black and white cropping and camera and you're going to learn how to use the darkroom. And I'm like, I, I grew up with this shit. I, I, I've been yeah. developing my film forever, you know, had the same equipment that they probably had in the photo school. So very quickly dropped out of that and realized the value of my time and what I could learn in myself in three years and reaching out to people, then paying, you know, student loans for that. So, uh, 
went to business school instead at Central Florida, and then um, just went right into photography straight from there. So, I mean, I had side jobs, bartending, waiting tables, selling cars for a little bit, which kind of gives you in front of people and gives you that ability to sell. Super comfortable. If you can sell a car, that's a lot easier than selling a photograph because a photograph doesn't exist yet. You know, you're selling... I can create that for you or I can sell that for you with a picture, but you're selling smoke. This doesn't exist yet. So I think the sales background really helped me a lot in the long run when I reflect on it. And everybody wants a Hemi, you know, (laughs) right? I sold Toyotas, dude. It was the easiest thing in the world. (laughs) You should have put a Hemi in those Toyotas. You would have sold them like hotcakes. Dude, that was when like the Prius just came out or whatever on it. It was, uh, it was awesome. Um, So anyways, after after that, um, I met a girl, hometown sweetheart longtime friend or whatever and uh we dated for a long time and she took a job offer up in detroit and i was freelance so i was like ah i can do it different market let's go let's do it so we we uprooted up there for her job that relationship didn't work out but it was getting me in a different market so it kind of shook me up a little bit all of a sudden i was like all right this isn't like the same old comfort zone now i actually have to pare down my portfolio i have to start cold calling i have to familiarize myself with the region who the clients are so it was kind of like a trial run for new york um and kind of prepared me for it right you went from a tiny non-existent market in many ways in treasure island to a small city but a city nonetheless so kind of medium-sized market stepping stone to new york so what did you find was the difference between um, getting yourself established in Detroit to then make that move to New York. And did you go straight to New York from Detroit? Um, I was like, it was 50-50. So as I started getting more work in New York, I rented a room, or I'm sorry, in New York. Yeah. When I got more work in New York, I rented a room in New York. So I had some buddies who were in Alphabet City and they had a, a room come up and I would couch surf over there if it was just for a day or when they were in between roommates, I would rent the room for a week or whatever. And I was there and, um, it came up again and I was getting more and more work in the city and I just was like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll take it. So I hopped on the lease there. And then we had the house in Detroit, too. So I was going back and forth. How'd you promote yourself in New York when you were in Detroit? What was your what was your pathway? Word of mouth. Yeah. So and really? and, and work, word working my network. Okay. That that has been the thing that has worked for me for the like, it's amazing. And um, I was just having this discussion with uh, with someone recently. I was scrolling through Facebook and someone's posting the new Adidas ad that 72 and Sunny did, which was was great around Super Bowl time. And I was like. Oh, I've got a friend as a producer there. And someone else chimes in. Oh, I, I just worked with Adidas on this. And I was like, I didn't even know I had a friend that was at that agency. So it's amazing the context you have in your own network, you know, so. If you look. If you look, yeah. So uh, word of mouth, referrals, and working my own network has been the biggest thing for me. And then I would just look for client direct kind of stuff where I would be like, okay, I'd, I'd like to work for them. I'm What they're doing now is in a similar vein as what I'm shooting that I would just reach out directly. Um, if they were in-house advertising, which is a lot of the clients I work with have an in-house agency or they do it themselves. And, uh, or I work with their PR departments and that kind of is like a backdoor too. So shooting events or architectural or things like that for them. That's a hard thing to do. What kind of success rate did you have? I mean, how much rejection did you have to get used to or not? Or yeah. not. Um, okay, it's a hard one. Yeah, the rejection's huge. I mean, we had a thing in car sales, which kind of really, again, looking back, I was like, serendipitously, my, my very messed up meandering career path happened to be the best possible thing to make me a successful photographer. But um, they say like you talk to 10 ups or like 10 people come onto the car a lot looking for cars. One or like 10 or 20% of them are going to buy no matter what, like you can't talk them out of it. They're just, their car broke. Like they need a new car, you know, so they come in and then you have 10 or 20% that are actually ones that you have to sell 
and the other like 75, 80%, you're just, you're never going to be able to sell them. So, I mean, you just know you're going to shake a hand and you got like probably an 80% chance that they're, you're never going to sell them anything, but you don't know which one is the one that's going to buy or the eight or nine that aren't. So you have to kind of do the dog and pony show every single one and then roll into the next one with the same enthusiasm. That's what it's like with cold calling or marketing too. I'd say those are pretty good odds to translate into photography. Oh, it's you way lower in photography. Well, yeah. But for yeah. people to get used to it, you get way more no's than you get yeses. So yeah. that's, uh, it's good that you had that kind of background. Yeah. So I'd say like 10 to one, you're going to hear no nine or 10 times before you hear a yes. And even, and even then it's like, it might not work. Dates might not work. The budget might not work. Like usage might not work. I mean, I just turned down a job for, well, it was, it was Penguin publishing, but it was like the worst copyright grab in the world with no budget to support it. And I had, you had to walk away from it, even though it was like a wonderful assignment that I would have had a blast shooting. And I was like, so, yeah. Which that's also a tough thing to do, to know when to say no. Yeah. What's the difference between your approach going client direct, let's say five, 10 years ago versus now? Like walk me through like what you, what you do when you want to send something or get a, a, the company's attention. Um, I used to be a lot more ignorant about it. Like I would just start calling, you know, I'd be like, Hey, you know, who, who do I got to talk to about this? Or I, or I love your photos or, Hey, can I come in? You know, I was just like, I have a new iPad portfolio. Like, come on, like, <laughs> let's do this. You know? Cause I mean, I, I knew I was, I'm personable. Most photographers are, are introverted. You know, they were, were technically driven or creatively inspired or whatever it is. We're generally not people, people and shit. I grew up a people person, you know, restaurant industry, um, service industry, that kind of stuff, selling cars. And I, I just am outgoing. So I knew from the beginning the, my advantage was getting in front of people and getting to meet them. So, yeah, I mean, I was just very ignorant about it. I was just doing what like phone calls, emails, get me in the door, let me meet you, you know, we'll hit it off. We'll have fun. Even if you don't hire me right now, you'll remember me versus, you know, the 50 emails that you got before with no faces or personality behind it. So, um, it's changed a little bit now. I do a little more research and I try to be targeted in who I'm talking to. I try to only try to get in touch with people that can actually make the decision. So that comes through things like agency access where you're actually, you know, you're using lists and finding out who the art director is or who the art buyer would be. Um, and then, yeah, it's just research. And it's like, there's no exact science. You can buy a list, but that doesn't mean the list of people at that agency or clients still work there, their email's valid. But, you know, now I know the structure. It's their first letter of their first name, dot their last name at, you know, google.com or whatever it is. So now I try to find out who they hired through lurking LinkedIn or Google or press releases, putting together the thing and, you know, trying to guess their email address, send that off, or trying to get through the gatekeepers to leave them a voicemail and things. So it's, it's the same. It's just like a numbers game, beating your head against a wall, trying to get in front of somebody because that's what's going to get you hired. It's showing the book, then showing the personality too. What's your monthly, I guess, subscriptions? Like you mentioned um, agency access. Are there any other things you use? Like, like was it Yodelist through yeah, Workbook? Through, or through workbook. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you use? What are the subscriptions or softwares that you use? Um, agency Access has been the one that I've been using for the last year, well, a couple of years. I've had their list for a couple of years now, but I was doing the campaign manager for the last year. Um, it's a couple, it was a couple hundred bucks a month. It's nice. I mean, it's like, it's cool because if you get busy, you don't have an excuse not to do the marketing. Like your ma your mailers are going to go out. Your email blast is going to go out because you sit down with someone, you prep them all at the beginning of the year. This is all things you should be doing anyways, but we get busy, you know? So having someone like that makes you sit down, puts together, put together your mailers, whether you're doing six or 12 a year or whatever, and make sure they go out. So, 
you can be out there following up with the phone calls or trying to get meetings or going to meetings or shooting, hopefully, you know, busy doing that while they're trying to refill your pipeline. Um, so I like that, but these again are all things that you can do yourself if you're starting out and you have time. So, I mean, you can put together your own, compile your own list. You can put the addresses and stamp your own mailers, you know, or create each of those and personalize them, make your own phone calls and stuff. So it's not necessary. It's just helpful because I've been busy the last couple of years. So it's another person to remind me, hey, dude, you got to give me six images for the next mailer or something yeah, like good, that. It's a good structure. I did, I did um, agency access. I didn't love it, but I did like the, the structure that it provides. And I think it's really good for people who are kind of entering the market if they can afford it. Yeah. Because compiling your own list, that's a tough one. Um, particularly because people move a lot mm -hmm. uh, in the business. So, it, I mean, it's really the job of agency access and workbook and the other um, source books to stay on top of that and keep that information updated for you. And that's one of the best things that they provide. Yeah, and it's what's cool is they seem to be really open to, um, like they don't have a, a big like list in fitness or athleisure wear, which is like, you know, the newer huge segment that's opened up. And they don't really have a lot of clients or contact info for that. So I can be like, I want this segment or I want this region or, you know, this genre or this brand or whatever. I can give them like parameters and they'll put their team on it and start trying to compile that list for you. So, um, and you can also through their CRM or through their, their customer management software, you can see their contacts and you can also add your own. So you can add your, your own personal list to that. Um, make sure they don't vacuum it in. Otherwise you just did the research for a big company making money <laughs> off of selling your list. Um, but yeah, you, you can keep it all in one place. So you can send the email blast out. So yeah, it's, um, I'm same with you. I'm like hot and cold on it. It's, it's good to have the structure and the reminder. It didn't make me a fortune, but then again, it's, it's a reasonable cost for marketing with potential return that would, you know, pay for itself for years. Well, so that's one of the key things that, that I found and, and correct me if you found something different, but um, marketing is multifaceted. There's no one bullet that's going to work every time or any time. You know, you, you have to do multiple things, and they kind of build on each other. And sometimes you'll have great success with something one year, and maybe you won't the next. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think of the first first month or two I was with them, I bid on the largest job of my career. I didn't get it, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it came right away. So I was but like, you got to bid on it. I was it, like, which bam, is cool. this is awesome. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that feels really good when you start to hit that. And that was great. So I was like, okay, well that, that justifies it because had I landed that, that would have paid for agency access for the next 25 years. Like it would have been fine. You know? Um, so Why do you think you didn't get it? Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, I want, I want to say that I didn't have enough, um, like group lifestyle activities in my portfolio for, for this, for particular what they were looking for. And I mean, it was easy enough to translate my work to what they were aiming for, but I'm sure there were other guys who had exactly that. Um, and there wasn't enough time or I, to shoot spec for it. So it was just, I was stuck with what I had. Um, knowing that, yeah, that I've fleshed out my portfolio in different ways, trying to fill those holes, which is, it's always a learning experience. You take jobs that you don't get and Sometimes they'll tell you why, sometimes they won't, but if you ever do or get an inkling, then, you know, use that as an opportunity to, to fill that gap, yeah. So. So how long have you been in New York full-time now? When did you make that, that final? God, you know what? I feel so... Because you kind of eased into it. Everyone has those dates where they're like... You don't know. It was Tuesday at 2 p.m. when I rolled in, you <laughs> know, over the that, Lincoln but... Tunnel, um, or through the Lincoln Tunnel. Uh, I don't know, it's been like five years now, five or six years. I got to go look through my leases. That's how you know you're, you're still there. When you get like the lease renewal right. that comes in, you're like, they only raised it a hundred bucks this month or this year. So it's like, okay, we'll renew. Um, so yeah, it's been like five or six years now. What do you, what do you love most about living in New York? Oh shit. Just the industry is there. I mean, it's great. I, I had, uh, 
I had a Thursday afternoon free last week. So I look at the calendar and it's like, oh, ASMP, which is, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, it's American Society of Media Photographers. It's like a guild or an organization for photographers. They lobby for copyright issues and support you in a bunch of different ways. So they were a huge support for me starting out too early in my career. I can't recommend enough anyone listening join ASMP or APA or some kind of association um, so you have people in your corner that have been and there and can answer questions. To, to find out information on business practices and get legal forms. And it's The business resource. Bible. You know, up until recently, ASMP had, and I used it religiously, the uh, model release app. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh and yeah. They, Where did I that feel go? like they stopped developing it. Yeah. It's just like, it was always in beta and never came out of beta. And it was like, this is great. Now there's other options out there, but... They were like one of the first. That was that was fantastic. And they were great because they used the standy getter, the standy, standard Getty release too, which was awesome. Which is what I've been using print wise forever. So it was just it was seamless. Yeah, yeah, you could automate the email to everyone and take the model's picture and put it on there. Perfect. Now you can just do like little instax and like staple it on. Yeah. Oh my god, I had a first assistant, uh, Eric, for his name was Eric too, for like a year or two. It was great. He rolls in one day with these big Fuji shooter. He rolls in with an instax once, and we had like eight or nine models or whatever on the shoot that day boop snap stapled them on i was like i love you i will pay for all of the instax film from now on like this is great you know it was, it was perfect old school you know it's That's so like, old, school, it's old school but it came back old around <laughs> yeah it's like this is great um god i forgot the initial question but asmp is good <laughs> no let's let's switch talk a little bit about social media um so this this whole season is kind of about business and social media and, and, and promoting yourself what is your social media plan? Like, do you have one? Like, what is your approach <laughs> to social media? What are you using? What do you not like? Um, Give me the rundown. God, okay, so Twitter's great. I, I love Twitter because, uh, yeah, really, I still love Twitter, man. It's like, it, it's no bullshit. Fa- I mean, it's Facebook is all political or yeah. bitching and moaning. Like, Facebook is miserable. Facebook right now is particularly it's miserable. miserable. It's all political. You know, all and it's day. like you need your personal page active to be able to run your business page. Yeah. And the business page is so throttled, you know, one in 100 people sees what you do. So it's like there's no point in doing that. So um, Facebook is an afterthought. I'll post to Instagram and then share to my Facebook just to cover my bases. Um, but Twitter I love because people are, if you're on Twitter, you're engaged, you're communicating, you're sharing relevant links and info. Like I love that just to have like a, my thumb on the pulse of the industry, which is, is cool. So I follow a lot of photographers or brands or industry blogs and things like that. Um, texture is really cool. I know it's not social media, but it's that app that allows you to download all the magazines for like 15 bucks a month. Oh, yeah. So I'm on the plane and I've read like the entire newsstand worth of magazines. But photographers get like Adweek and industry magazines beyond just Shutterbug magazine or popular photography because those are great. But the new camera is not going to pay for itself. So Shutterbug. I didn't even know that was still around. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Should be. Um, But I love Twitter for just like the news feed. I go on Twitter and I'm like, oh, someone launched a new camera or, you know, this came out or someone or this ads. Great. Everyone's talking about it. And then Instagram is just seems to be where it's at. Yep. You know, the the engagement is good if you post regularly. They really throttle that. I took a couple weeks off during the holidays. I came back. I had zero engagement. Like, no one's seen or liking any photos. I got punished so hard. <laughs> you they got just, put in the Twitter or the Instagram corner. Oh, man. Yeah, they put, like, one of those boots on your car or, yeah, or the <laughs> shoe. It was awful. It just, it just came off, like, last week, finally. After, like, a month, I started posting religiously again. It was probably because it was, like, pretty pictures of girls sweating working out or something like that. So <laughs> that helped, too. But, um... They finally lift, like, lifted the band hammer on my exposure. So the Instagram's back. So follow me on Instagram. It's at Eric V Photo, E R I K V Photo. 
Um, but yeah, Instagram's kind of where it's at, sharing uh, stories that way. So I try to curate. I'm trying to. I'm preferably going through in 2017. I'm going to try to curate my feed more, um, more finished photos and more sets of finished photos. So rather than like, here's a random BTS and here's a random retouched photo, I'm going to put like three or four from, from a shoot, you know, whether it's a test or whether it's a client thing I can share. And then I'll try sharing occasional behind the scenes of that because... Let's be real. That's what all my followers really want. They don't give a shit about the photos. They just they're there. They're there to see how I lit them. They're like, yeah, that's nice. Now let's see how you did it. Are you doing the Instagram stories as well? Yeah, yeah. So that's gonna that's like that's the filler. So you know how you always have to be posting something. Well, I'm Instagram stories is more the day to day. So I'll be on set and I will share behind the scenes. Or I'm here interviewed with you guys and I'm you know storying the bathtub full of beer. So uh, yeah, so that, that that's that, that's, that's a great bathtub. So the, the last podcast is gonna be like. There's one option left. Sorry. <laughs> like kidding, Bob, or something like the that. The maids are going to be like, oh my God, they left all this booze. What are we going to do? Their maids will have a great time. I'm leaving the do not disturb thing on there the whole time. If you don't, that's going to disappear next time you go on the floor tomorrow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, hadn't thought about that. Yeah. You better, you better change the locks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, how, how are your clients finding you now? Like, how did you win your last big job? How did they find you? If you know. Oh man, you know, I forgot to ask that. Um, first with the, the last job that I just had to turn down, I should have, because I had no idea where they found me from. Um, but then after turning it down and informing them nicely that their contract was the most abusively worded piece of flaming shit that I've ever read as far as a rights really? contract goes, they never responded as far as like how they saw how they found my work. So I, I don't think I'm going to get that insight. But the moral of the story is keep it nice all the time. Like don't burn a bridge because like Rob said, clients leave and it's not their, you know, it's not their fault they're working with little budgets or they're forced to the draconian contracts from 1880 that they have to enforce because they they're clients. Agencies all the time. So. Exactly. So be nice to everyone because they might go somewhere else and be like, loved his work, couldn't afford to hire him here, but you know he was respectful about it and didn't give me shit. So now no, I'll hire him. It's really important. You don't know where somebody's going to wind up, um, and you definitely don't want to burn a bridge. Yeah. There's just no point to it. Be nice, even if you don't get the work. Exactly. Yeah. Be graceful in all things, yeah. except for RGG podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's where your pants come off. <laughs> I mean, I mean, shirt, right? No, gloves. Uh, gloves. We were pants. wearing pants yeah. to this. I thought I was like, you know, like the golfing announcers, where they're not really wearing pants underneath their suit pants coats. Pants are optional, yeah. always. <laughs> nice. Um, currently, it's it's a mix. Currently, it's 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 from past clients or referrals. Like people will leave companies that I've worked with and go somewhere else. And even if they're not directly in charge of hiring, they'll, they'll recommend me for stuff. Um, I had friends leave another company I was working for and started working for Uber. And they were looking for a shooter for an assignment and sitting in the office with the guy. He's like, oh, hey, check out this guy, Eric Vallon. I've worked with him here and I still follow him on Instagram and he's doing good work. So next thing I know, I have I, you know a job inquiry coming in from Uber. And I'm like, awesome how'd you hear about me well i'm sitting next to so-and-so i was like okay cool didn't even know that was happening so yeah it's usually that's that's how my career has been is just that kind of referral and following up with those people and when you see people leave other jobs be like hey how you doing like you know where are you landing next how are you holding together you want to get a beer want to catch up you know just really concerned about what people are doing with life because they might have something exciting to share about or you know or they just might want to go get a beer and unload you know, and be like, hey, he was like legitimately there, not just barking on my tree for work all the time. So, 
How much of your work do you shoot in New York? Because people do hop also to other cities. So are you kind of now, are you traveling a lot with your work? Are your projects taking you out there? So I just registered a management company in Florida, and I'm not know how, I don't know how I'm specifically supposed to answer this question financially. <laughs> uh, um, well, maybe you can answer that. Just yeah. say non-disclosure. N- non-disclosure. Um, <laughs> a, a, lot of, a lot of my work is in, um, is in New York. And, and that's why I'm there, for, for the work and to build a career. Um, uh, photo industry clients, I still work with a lot of uh, clients in the photo industry. And that's a lot more fun because, well, it's not more fun than other clients, it's just different. Because when you're not shooting a product, you're shooting with a product, you can be, the briefs are a little more open. So I was doing some stuff for Tamron and they launched a new 35 millimeter lens a year or two ago. And I was able to go to Iceland and take a bunch of pictures with it. And another one came up and I was in Italy for two weeks to take a bunch of photos with one of their camera lenses. So. Uh, that kind of stuff, like those those assignments, yeah, are you've a blast. really gotten into the photography industry side as yeah. well as the educational side. What pulled you into that? Um, it was natural. I, I made a bunch of silly YouTube videos, like behind the scenes of my shoots and stuff. And this is like before YouTube superstars and all that kind of thing. Um, I grew up in Florida. I'm completely self-taught. And if I had any photo industry friends that were or photographer friends, or I worked at the Apple store for a little while and half the guys in there are, you know, photography hobbyists. So did I. No way. Awesome. Yeah. That's where I got my, that's where I got my, we just pounded my it. teaching start came from <laughs> teaching one to ones at the Apple store. One to ones were the worst. <laughs> oh man. Oh, it, yeah. It was, uh, those were fun. But, um, Anyway, so I was always like trying to explain what I was doing because there was we were as a vacuum man. I think like the David Hobby, the Strobus had just come out with a blog, and Zach Arias might have had like one blog post up or something at that time. So there wasn't, and Chase Jarvis had just done a, a vlog Chase, or, Chase something. Live or something. Yeah. So it was a, uh, it was it was a vacuum. So if you're self-taught and you didn't do the traditional assisting route or apprenticeship route like every other profession out there, you're kind of on your own. So. When I was shooting or I thought something was cool, I'd, I'd bring a buddy along. Or to like show how I got the shot, I would just roll like a, one of those little Canon G-series cameras, just stick it on a tripod and let the thing roll, and then put it on YouTube on fast forward, you know, like an old school time lapse. And um, I had some brands in the industry see that and were like, hey, we think this is great. You know, I, I put it to music, put it up there, was just sharing. They're like, do you do workshops and like do this kind of stuff? And I'm like... What are you talking about? I'm just taking pictures in Florida and putting like a silly behind the scenes video on uh, YouTube. I didn't realize this was like a whole thing. I didn't, I had no clue about the photo industry whatsoever. Um, so yeah, that was random. And I then like sometime I, someone reached out about that. About that same year, I go on a, a charity photo shoot, Help Portrait. Jeremy Cowart started it. It's awesome. And now it's like worldwide. It's incredible. Basically, you're you're empowering people and, and sharing people's worth through through taking photographs of them. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and I'm in Clearwater and I show up to this and I'm taking pictures, bouncing around and we're, we're working with, um, it's like a, like a drug addiction rehab facility, but it was really unique because it was for women with children. And instead of separating the women from their children and putting them in foster care, it was, they'd work on parenting and family skills as well as rehab. So it's a really beautiful thing. And I was able to go in there and, and meet these people and take their first photos with their families and with their kids. So it was such an awesome experience. And I'm hitting it off and there's a couple other guys with really nice camera gear that are there. And I don't know the photo community or, or who's in my neighborhood. And um, we're shooting the shit and they're taking nice photos. And there's some other guys that like brought their own IMAX to this charity photo shoot and are like doing retouching and like really good retouching, you know? And um, after the shoot, one of them's like, oh man, like you were, you were really great. It was great watching you work with them. Like you really... 
you're very personable. You're like, just rare, I guess, for some photographers. And they're like, uh, like we're going to go get burritos afterwards. Like, you, you remind me a lot of my buddy Joe, the way you goof around, like make people laugh when you're taking pictures. Um, do you want to come get burritos with us? We're going to Chipotle afterwards. So I, I, I'm like, sure, yeah. So we wrap up. You know, We, we deliver the, all the prints and the pictures to everyone. We say goodbye. We go. And I'm sitting in line waiting to order a burrito. And I'm like, who are these guys? So I Google them. And I'm like, oh, RC, Scott Kelby, Joe McNally. Like, I Google them. And I was like oh shit, these guys are kind of a big deal. <laughs> and sure enough, I had not known. I walked into this charity photo shoot and all the guys, like Scott Kelby and his whole crew, were sitting there at the same charity photo shoot. Cool. And we're like, you seem like a really nice guy and we like to tell you we're working with everyone in there and you remind us of our buddy Joe McNally goofing off with people on set. Like, And we're all, we do this thing called Photoshop World. It's in Orlando, like two hours away. Like, you should come. So they gave me an invite to come to Photoshop World and then that kind of opened my eyes to this whole huge industry and all the education and the support and the, it just it's it's awesome yeah so I went from like this self-taught silo just sharing silly YouTube videos so my friends and other photographers could see how I was taking my pictures and then just fell into this ocean of photo industry so it's just kind of just kind of grown from there I've just kept sharing and sharing and meeting new people and having fun what do you think what advice do you have? I think you're in a position where a lot of photographers want to get to the point where they have these mm-hmm. brands behind them. What advice do you have? What are some do's and don'ts of like approaching a brand and trying to get involved and like highlight their stuff? Um, it's tough. It's, it's, it's a value proposition both ways. So they are a lot more valuable or yeah, they're more valuable to you than you are to them. And that's the first thing you have to realize because any product manager or marketing person at these companies has hundreds, if not thousands, of photographers saying, hey, I got this cool project. I'll take pimp photos. Send me 10 grand worth of gear. You know, <laughs> like, what's the value to them in that? That's, that's what you have to look at. Not to, not to be an ass, but just like, you really have to look at it. Like, what's their return on $10,000 in equipment? Or, you know, instead of having loaner gear for dealers and their sales reps to send it out to you, like, what are you going to get there? So you have to really be offering something unique or valuable to justify that. And it can't be a one-off thing. Like you, you can, sure, you can hit people up and it's just like any sales job or us trying to look for clients. If you ask 10 brands for free, free stuff, someone might send you free stuff, you know? And that's enough for a lot of people to be like, okay, cool, I'm gonna keep asking for free shit, you know? But that's never gonna be a valuable relationship and it's never gonna grow into anything. So find brands that you're using, find brands that you identify with, find brands that you rely on to make your pictures or, or to make your living. Um, don't seek out brands as a shortcut to fancy equipment to try to make you a better photographer because if you go from alien bees to brown color and you're, you don't know what you're doing with light, it's not gonna make you a better photographer. You know, it's only really at the high end that you start seeing the difference in this equipment, you know, from a 500 to $5,000 light. So um, find something of value to offer them, whether it's unique or a different spin on things or a project or a subject matter that they don't have or an angle or a story, which is huge. If you ever approach people for editorial assignments, if you can package pictures in a story, an editor is going to run with that 10,000 times faster than, oh, hey, I want to go to this pretty place and take pictures. Can you assign me a writer? Maybe we'll find a story while we're there. So if you're approaching a brand, be like, well, I'm working with this charity organization or there's this group over here that I want to kind of document and here's a little back history on it and here's how I was thinking of lighting it and a loner would allow me to photograph this in a different way and tell this story. Could you help me with that? That's going to be a lot more heartfelt and honest and something that someone might actually pause and read and want to help you with because it should be a a mutual helping relationship, not 
I want free stuff kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that's how I position it. Like you're going for an assignment, like you're trying to make a sale. You have to present value or present something unique because they're hearing it all day, every day. And you have to go in realizing that the relationship is kind of be re like endorsing or growing a relationship you already have started versus I want to jumpstart my career by finding fancy photo equipment. So it should be things that you're comfortable with. Like, hey, I've been using this one flash, but if you blow me three more, I could do this or tell this story in a different way. What's the last piece of gear you bought? Are you, are you a gear guy or are you not really in? Oh, dude, I'm such a gear guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a gear guy. You can tell by looking at yeah. him. He loves gear. It, it doesn't work well living in New York City to be a gear guy. Because, no I mean, room. God, I think my storage shed for some of my equipment is more than most people's rent. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, last piece of gear that I bought... It was it was the Fuji 10 to 24 millimeter. So I just started shooting around with the, the Fuji XT2, and it, I'm always looking for a travel camera or something small that like you know get me excited about taking pictures day to day again. Because you walk around New York or you travel for you know jobs and stuff. There's so many great photos to be had. So I fell in love with the XT2, and I am out here, and I wanted to go like Antelope Canyon or just take some super cheesy postcard travel photos and needed a wide-angle lens, so I went down to Photo Care in New York and bought uh, that new wide-angle for the Fuji. Nice. So what are you shooting on now? Like When you go out on a, on a gig, what's your go-to kit? Um, so right now I've got a Nikon D800, which is what I'll use for any of my product stuff or studio portraits that I know I'm going to be doing more retouching on because it's, it's uh, more megapixels. And then I've got a Nikon D4S, which is for all my active stuff because faster autofocus, faster um, motor drive and everything on that. I've got the full lineup of all the new uh, Tamron Primes, which are super lightweight and weather sealed and then i also have uh, a zoom kit as well of the tamron lenses so like the 15 to 30 24 to 70 70 to 200 and then the 28 to 300 for my travel lens do you have a favorite lens eric <laughs> oh god um i think everyone does no way you don't you don't 35 prime okay yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean yeah if, if i had to express how i how i see the world it's, it's a 35 prime because it's like I don't know if it's ADD or what, but I can't focus on everything all at once. So like a wide open prime lens where only one thing's in focus is kind of my mentality. And 35 is pretty close to normal, so that's how we see the world. So I don't like to distort my images. I like it to be as authentic as possible. Yeah. Going back to the megapixels, I think, what's your opinion? Uh, We're going there. (laughs) What's your opinion on on the megapixel war? Like, you know, I, I feel like so much so much advertising is kind of brainwashing us into thinking like more megapixels is going to make me a better photographer. It's not the, it's not the number of pixels. It's the girth of your pixel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. Yes. You went there. <laughs> we're going to open this up and we're going to like, you know, right, measure them the with, the, with the pixel comparisons. We're going to do it. Um, it's uh, I mean, you have a crop chip, you have a full frame chip, you have a medium format chip. It's the the photo sites, the actual size of the light gathering little bits in there. Um, so yeah, a 50 megapixel DSLR, that's fine. Canon has a 50 megapixel DSLR. You shoot that next to a Hasselblad or a Phase 50 megapixel medium format back, you're going to get better quality, dynamic range, ISO performance, the whole nine because those pixels are bigger. Um, so. Man, a 1200 or 16 or yeah, 12 or 16 megapixels is is more than I could ever imagine needing unless I need to do insane enlargements with a ton of retouching. That's lower than I thought you would say. Yeah, you know, it's, there's less to retouch at 12 to 16 too, which is nice. <laughs> All right, yeah. 
but it really it really depends what you're shooting i mean if you're shooting stuff for for enlargement or reproduction or a ton of retouching like higher like products detail products you'd want more i'd say 20 something minimum um but man between like 16 and 36 is such a sweet spot i've always felt fulfilled there whenever i shoot a 50 or 100 megapixel file i'm like there's just more here than i want to deal with most of the time that isn't necessary for where it's going because uh, a lot of what i'm shooting is going to web or mobile or social or you know the yeah, print's d- never d- bigger than 11 by 14. it's very dependent on the end use i mean plain yeah, and simple 100 yeah where are you going with it that's a that's a big thing yeah, so I I don't yeah we're getting to the point now where sensors are are just so good and sensitive and no one's not giving you enough megapixels that I haven't really thought about a megapixel count in a long time. Well, we get that a lot in our community, like when a new camera comes out and like I think we saw it recently with Sony A7R2. So many people jump ship from Nikon or Canon to go to Sony all because of the A7R2, and it was like the first 50 megapixel. Was that what it was? They're 50 as well? It was around there. I mean, 45, 42, 50, like... It was a lot. It was I a big jump. I switched to that camera for a very different reason, though. I was shooting a Hasselblad, you know, H4D 60, so 60 megapixels. But the size of the camera is so much more nimble for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a much smaller camera. It's easier to handle. But the megapixel count is roughly the same for what my clients need. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was a, it was a great marriage. I think the megapixel count is getting weird in that, to me, it's jumped the shark. It's going to like 100 megapixels. That's even more than I would ever want for any of my advertising clients. Yeah. It's so much data for you to manage and then to retouch. Oh, well, I think your story is different. Like, I mean, you had two Hasselblad units, and you were considering upgrading those to two different Hasselblad units, which is like a hundred thousand dollars the minimum. Yeah, yeah, you had, I, you had ordered I them, had ordered and them. that <laughs> camera dropped. So your decision to do it is different than what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. where all the people that like had D800s, had five D Mark Threes, and they're like, oh shit. Just by switching to that, it's going to make me somehow better. And it's it's how I look at it's how you should look at any piece of equipment. If it's like if there's a new technology or something like that, does it allow you to do anything differently or exponentially more efficiently than the previous equipment or the equipment that you have? I mean, how old's the D800? Like six, seven years old? Yeah, I mean, it's ancient. It's still great. It's fine. It's yeah, like the 5D Mark III still fantastic. still a great camera. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, for all all the people with like the gear acquisition syndrome. Spend the money on a plane ticket to go somewhere or on a workshop to learn how to use your gear better because unless it's like crazy technology allowing you to take something that used to require a tether cable and now do wirelessly, like that changes things. You know, it's not necessary to, to jump brands and try to hawk all your gear used and buy new and take that big loss to switch for like what, 12 megapixels, yeah. <laughs> 18 megapixels. That's crazy. I, I love workshops and you teach them, right? Mm-hmm. What, tell me about them. What, what am I going to learn if I take the Eric Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, I don't have any solo ones on the list, but when I do a workshop, I make sure it's like a half day or a full day and it's hands-on. I mean, I'll, I go through the same agencies I would hire models for for client work. I do the same due diligence and location scouting. You're using the same equipment I use. So if I ever get loaner equipment to support a workshop, it's like redundancy. So if, if someone breaks one of my working packs that I need like on Monday for a job, you know, I have a, I have a backup loaner or something like that. So it's, it's legit. I mean, I try to be as transparent as possible because I'm a younger shooter and my career has come up in the time of this huge sharing ecosystem we've been in that's been awesome. And the more I give away, the more it's benefited me, like tenfold. So um, yeah, you do a workshop with me, you get it all. You get access to the same agencies, the same contacts, the same pre-production I would do, the same equipment, the whole nine. 
and you can ask me questions about business and all this kind of stuff too. I love that statement too, that the more you give away, the more you get back. That's, uh, that's really important. Absolutely. Well, let's switch back to business a little bit. You want to talk about licensing? <laughs> Wait, were you in that group? Someone, someone put up a, so. a Facebook chat or whatever about it. Pratik was a, just put it out. He, he posts so much. I, I mean, it's so good. He posts so good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So good. Anyway. Let's talk about license. Let's talk about license. I think that's a subject that really differentiates yourself and, and it's probably the hardest to do. A, pricing yourself, and then two, how do I know how to license my photo? And is this company even going to license it? Do they even know that they need to license it? Okay. It's yeah, such a, like, the clients how, when, did you get to, when did you get to the point where you're like, all right, I'm going to start licensing? Um, what does that look like for you? Well, it goes back to the question you asked, like, what were some of the differences between Detroit or New York and how did you prepare yourself for these things? Um, small and medium markets, most of the people hiring photography don't really hire professional photography on a regular basis. And if you hit them with complex usage and terms and itemized fees and stuff, their eyes are going to glaze over. Like, they're going to freak out. They're going to be like, uh, dude, I asked for like a number. Like, what's it going to cost for you to come take this picture? Not like, why did you give me five pages with a billion breakdowns and terms? And, you know, this is more paperwork than my mortgage kind of thing. Um, so that was a big a big transition. I started working on licensing in Florida, like right away when I started doing commercial photography. Um, I had some images where the New York Post was running a story and had tracked down some photos that I shot because my EXIF data was intact and I actually had my copyright info in my camera written to all the files. Like you, you do the things to get found and they had found some photos that they wanted to license. So all of a sudden like Inside Edition's calling and the New York Post is calling and everyone wants these photos. And I'm like, oh, man, I am out of my depth here. <laughs> like, I have no idea how to charge for this because it wasn't an assignment. They were just like, here's these photos that exist. And they gave me usage. They were like, we want to put it in one spot here. We want to be able to, you know, for 48 hours, promo that spot using your image as like a you know quarter screen or whatever. Like, they gave me very specific usage. So that's when I, I had heard about ASMP and I had like gone to a couple meetings because I wanted to know what, you know, if I was going to really do commercial photography, how do I do it? Like, what are these guys doing? And that's when I was like, oh man, I need, I need, I had never had a mentor. I was like, I need to lean on someone. So I pulled up the ASMP website and I went to the central Florida chapter and there was a guy in Clearwater beach up the street from me. And I think I had met him at, um, or hey, I think I'd met him at like one of the meetings or something like that. And I wasn't even a member officially, but I ring him up and I was like, Hey, this is Eric Vallon. I'm a photographer, you know, out of St. Petersburg. We met at this thing. Do you have five minutes? Because <laughs> I, I need help here. So I reached out, and he kind of gave me some 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 verbiage, like legalese to to work with, and some ideas and pricing and stuff. And then um, I had called back, and you know, well, what are you offering first off? Because if they're going to put a number out there, you know, that kind of that kind of helps sometimes. Um, and that was a big wake up call for me because I was like, shoot, these images have value. Like I had shot these portraits for fun, you know, forever ago. And here all of a sudden they have immense value and these national outlets are trying to call it in. Um, so that's when I started doing the research. That's when I joined ASMP. They used to give you a Bible called like best business practices or something like, was it Rich Harrington's or do you still, still get it? Still get it. Yeah. That book is worth its weight in gold. It memorized that book because some of it might be out of date, like how particularly how you bundle fees or usage, but the business basics there, every single photographer should have. So this has been instilled for me since the very first market I was in. Because instantly I saw like, okay, if I'm going to do this, this is where the value's at. And I need to make sure I, I demand that to be able to stay in business. Um, 
Same thing happened when I went to Michigan. You'd be surprised though, because small and medium sized agencies that I walked into, they got it. You know, they try to get over on you. Um, and then other ones are, you had to educate. So that's a huge thing that I hear a lot. I, I feel it a lot and I had to personally deal with in smaller and medium marks is educating your client. Being like, because you paid me $100 to make picture A doesn't mean you get it. Because like, I'm not coming to your place of employment. You're not paying my, my retirement, my social security. You know, you're not providing the equipment. Like I'm coming in as a subcontractor creating this and you're renting it from me to promote a product. Like this is how you have to kind of position it. And, um, Getting good at laying that out in layman's terms and educating people on it was the best thing. And then realizing that even if you educate, some people just want to see a combined fee, which is becoming popular. I don't know how, how you're positioning your creative and first usage fees, but I'm seeing a lot of, and I'm hearing a lot of feedback from people um, uh, about combining fees now. So there's like base fees. So you would have a creative fee, your usage fee in one for a day for image library creation or something, and then have all your expenses line item on top of that. That's come back more. Has, has that? Yeah. Cause clients are, are changing. The usages aren't as high in terms of they're not as, as long. Mm -hmm. Um, and the competition is willing to give it away. God, so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've had to definitely stuff usages into into day rates and just kind of make some changes i've always liked to, to have very specific breakdowns on my usage versus my day rate because usage is something that clients should pay for really for what they need exactly um and then negotiate from there if they want to you know a lot of my products too they change so much why why pay for something for unlimited usage that you can use for 10 years if you're going to change that bottle label in two years yeah you know um, you can actually save your client money and you can present it to them. Like we might be able to save you money over the long haul if you don't, you know, go this far with buying the usage. So, but it's definitely changed, um, cause so many people are just doing a flat, flat rate. So you kind of have to make some adjustments, but I think it, it all goes down to knowing your client and knowing your market. Yeah. Cause it, it really depends on who's coming at me for the estimate on what kind of answer I'm going to give them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, some, some you're educating, some you're combining it, some you're not, right. I'm the same way. I like to break it out because uh, my my big way with teaching and negotiating is to become that person's ally. It's like, you and I get together, you dig my photography. I like you guys as a company, I wanna work with you guys. Like, we're not against each other, we just have to make the numbers work because we're operating not as two buddies out to create a cool photo, but we're operating as representatives of businesses. So it's like the numbers have to work. So when you break it out as a day rate or a creative fee, it's like, that's my worth. You guys like my portfolio and my experience, my continued education, the fact that I go to WPPI and learn stuff every year. Like you're, you're paying, that's value. And I never negotiate that. And then by line item, you know, all the expenses and usage and the expectations, it's like, okay, well, we're a little high. What can we do? You know, well, like you said, 10 years, well, you're going to rebrand re this in two or, you know, or if it's clothing, it's like, you don't need a 10 year license or two year license on clothing. I mean, it's going to be out in a season or a year. So it's like, let's save money here. Why don't we, why don't we cut this back to two or three years? That'll save you X amount. Look, we're there. Cool. Done. So yeah, try to position yourself as an ally and either educate them or then work together to, to cut down. Clients appreciate it too. Yeah. When you're looking out for their money, they absolutely appreciate it. Yeah. Because they, they just hear it's like, well, we need it all. We need copyright. We need it forever. It's like, no, you don't. You need, you need it for web for a year. Like, I'll yeah. tell you, AB used to be famous for this going back years and years ago. They wanted everything to be unlimited. But they would change their labels every year. 
So we'd reshoot a campaign, but they had already paid for it unlimited. It was great. <laughs> I miss those days so badly. <laughs> like that, paid for, house, <laughs> that <laughs> paid for the house. That It was good. Time. I wanted to ask. I know you're so bummed. I missed the good old days. Yeah. I came in right you after the good late, old buddy. days. I know you're shooting motion. So walk me through the differences in um, your day rate for motion and also licensing motion. How do the two differ? Oh, so um. For me personally, I understand it that it's massively different. Like uh, you go off of usage for images, but a lot of times there's a copyright transfer on limited usage in the video or, or clips. So I'll come in and take a creative fee for directing, and then if I self-produce it, a, a cut for that, and then expenses, and then I'll just have not inflated but a combined. That's when I'll do a combined fee. So I'll do, and then it'll it'll transfer a copyright or it'll transfer usage. I still like to maintain copyright if I can fight for it even though they can use it forever for however much they want, I will always fight for non-exclusive, you know, right transfer. So that way I can use it. You know, I'm not going to make my retirement off of stock. I'm not disillusioned or 65. So it's like, but I still want to be able to use the stuff if, if it comes in handy someday. Let's talk about copyright. How do you copyright your images? Walk me through. How how are you protecting your, how are you protecting yourself? Um, what you have to do is make tiny little JPEGs, put them on a CD, and send them off to the Library of Congress. Do I do that regularly? Um, I have a feeling that one, if you get a bad feeling, okay, <laughs> then you register that shit. You know, if you're like, they might try to burn me, or you know, they might, I, I feel that person might be out and they're not, gonna, they're not gonna monitor their own rights managed images and I'm gonna have to come back, you know, about that. Um, then I'll, I will do that, but. I'm actually currently interviewing for uh, part-time studio manager help, and one of the things will be updating all of my images with the Library of Congress because I'm behind on that. Nice. Um, but oh, in reality, look up Jack Resnicki or like the the copyrightguys.com or something like that. I think is their website, and um, they're a photographer and a lawyer duo that are also like best friends and hilarious. But they have a website and like Kelby Kelby Training or Kelby yeah KelbyTraining.com or Kelby1.com classes on copyright and. They are awesome. You spend an hour or two listening to their educational material. They run you through what you need to do to protect yourself, how to do it. Like they hold your hand on how to resize, how to burn it, how to mail it, how to upload it so that you're protected. Because um, when you sue someone or you have your images infringed, you can go about it two ways. If you don't have your images register with the Library of Congress, you have to go back and sue them and try to get damages that you know, you're owed. So while well, they stole my photo and they made $100,000 off of it and you have to prove that. And then you're on the hook for all of your court fees and expenses and everything. If you register your stuff with the Library of Congress in a relatively decent amount of time, you can come back and sue and there's a statutory, like a minimum of 150 grand that you get if they rule in your favor, plus you don't have to come out of pocket for court costs and lawyer costs and everything. So it's it costs you like 25 bucks to register or something like crazy cheap and it's worth doing and it's got to be diligent. It's such a pain in the ass, though. Oh, yeah. God, why do you think we're behind? Image rights yeah, yeah. Have you heard of image rights? They're, no. They're in Boston. So. Yeah, image rights that you can basically just upload your images to image rights. They will file them with the copyright office for you. Um, they'll take care of all the paperwork. And they actually have software that goes out and looks for infringement. The reverse that. image search stuff. Yeah, okay, yeah. They do. And then they'll go after them and they'll sue them for you. So it's it's what? funny. Like, what is this website? <laughs> so I'll tell you the story of how it came about. Like, Four or five years ago, I wrote an open letter to Adobe saying they need to integrate into Lightroom a way to copyright. A few days later, I was contacted by Image Rights, and they're like, hey, we're actually working on this now. Um, would you be interested in kind of like 
helping us like understand the perspective. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. So fast forward like a year after that, or maybe two years, they finally developed a plugin for Lightroom that automates the entire thing. What? And they go out there and... We just blew his mind. They go this out there and wow. search. Ah. So they got there and search. They have their own proprietary software that goes out there and finds your images also. Mm-hmm. And then they go after it with their network of worldwide lawyers that obviously they, they take a percentage of yeah. what you get, but the whole thing's automated. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Do they have like a network of bots too that'll crash the website of any infringers and things? Like, yeah. Okay. Well, that's net number two. That would be cool. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. So, yeah, thank you for that because, like, yeah, who wants to snail mail a CD? I don't have a CD drive on any computer. Image right rights. It'll it'll save you so much time. You'll be like, oh my god, this is the best. Unfortunately, they don't do it for video yet, so we still have to burn to a CD and send them in, which is a pain in the ass. It's twenty five bucks, right, per CD? Yeah, we had to go out and buy a CD burner because we didn't even have one. Like all the Macs (laughs) don't even have. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) find a CD burner these days. But I mean, they're thin, right? Who needs ports? Or anything. Dongles. Don't get me started on the dongles. I refuse to upgrade. Refuse to upgrade. I refuse. You know what? Every time Apple pisses me off, I buy more Apple stock. I don't buy their products, but you just buy more stock in that company. Yeah. Because that's just an interesting approach. Yeah. Seriously, it's like putting a penny in a swear jar or something like that. (laughs) Every time I'm like, fuck, like, I, you know, it's like end of last year. I had, you know, you got a write offs and stuff. So I was like, okay, need a new desktop, need a new laptop. And I was like, I'm so angry when I went to the Apple store at how shitty everything was or not updated. I just didn't buy and I put all that money into stock. So, very, very smart. And then look, it went up $10 in earnings call last week. So, there you go. Yeah. So, what's next for you? Where, Where do you see yourself? A year from now, can't do you even look out that far? Who do you want to be working for? Who do you want to be shooting for? You know what? I I did that. I had like the the goal thing the goal works, list. man. Yeah, the totally. goal list absolutely works, and um, I did it. I was successful enough and fortunate enough and worked my ass off enough that I I crossed all the shit off. Um, and I've been like nose to the grindstone and haven't stepped back and done another list. So um, I'm actually taking my first vacation in like two years or three years or yeah. since my professional life right began or whatever. Uh, Puerto Rico next week. All right. Yeah. We were just down there. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah I, I missed you guys. Go. But I was working, not vacation in Puerto Rico. You should have been with us. I should have been. All right. Well, next year we're doing, doing December. I think we're doing Cuba. I'm down for that. I've been wanting to get oh, in there. Man, yeah. so I want to go to Cuba. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So hopefully vacation next week I'll be you know margarita in one hand and uh, like a moleskin because I'm gonna try to be not even on the internet and like that was how I did it last time I sat in a coffee shop in like a blizzard in Michigan when I first moved there I was like this is fucking miserable I left my <laughs> I left my house on the beach in Florida and I'm sitting in a coffee shop in a blizzard in Detroit the most depressed city in the like you know the country what a mistake and what a mistake what have I done okay. What do I want to achieve? What do I want to get myself out of this? And I, I wrote my list and I, I found the book like a couple weeks ago and went through and I was like, shit, I forgot what my, a lot of the goals were, but it's, I crossed them off, which is cool. So do it, set your goals, man, like realistically. And then, you know, do all the, the paths to achieving them and stuff. Don't just be like, I want to make X this one year or shoot for this client. Like, well, how, how are you going to do it? You need goals and objectives. I'm big on that pathway to get to that goal. You can't just set a goal. You got to have like an idea how you're going to get there. Yeah. But success is so abstract and it's a, and you chase it infinitely. It's like, okay, well I reached the success. Well, that's now there's more that's the greatest successful thing about it though. It's an ever moving target. You hit, you hit one point and then you have to keep going, you yeah. know, you can't come, become complacent. You just can't. And you know, like, 
I, in this circle, and I feel a lot of the listeners will appreciate that too, like the constant pursuit of, you know, getting better. But then you, you tell it like family or loved ones and they're like, fuck you, you're a workaholic. <laughs> so, my family gets it. Your family gets it. Okay. Oh, yeah. My Good. wife's a creative director. My father was an artist. So they, they you, you get know, it. Yeah. 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 In fact, my father and I used to have these screaming fights when I was in college because I went into the business school first. And he's like, you have got to drop out of the business school and get in the art school. You're wasting your life. Just knock down, drag up, fight. Oh, my, my dad was the opposite. Every, like, everybody's dad is the opposite. Who says to quit business school? Go to go business to school. Yeah. <laughs> you were but, lucky. You know? well, my dad knew me. He yeah. knew me very well. But you know, thankfully, I had a little bit of time in business school because I think it's kept me in business over 25 years. Otherwise, it would have been hard. Yeah. You know? The, the business is the most important part. Oh, so, totally. Like, if, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, this sounds cool. I want to make my living with a camera. Well, put down your damn camera. Like, yeah, go get a part-time sales job somewhere. Go read some business books. Like, yeah. The rest of the time you're doing business or oh my promotion God. or accounting or yeah. something. It's so seldom photography. Yeah. And then even that most of the time it seems, most of my shooting time recently, yeah, it's either, it's... God, I've been, I've been forcing myself to test and update my book more because the last year was so busy. It was like all client-driven stuff. And I, I had new promo stuff come out from meetings last week. And I was like, oh, I got to update my book. And I'm going through. I'm like, shit, okay. I haven't really updated in like six months. And everything I shot, I haven't retouched yet. So it's like, uh, you got to stay on that. So, Well, I got, I got one more question then, Rob. You can, hit, you can hit him with it. What's the last question? Imagine I'm 22. I'm working... Um, in IT or something like that. I want to. I want to make the transition. What advice do you have for me to to get there in uh, one or two years? Keep the job that you're working at now. Absolutely. Like, do not quit your job. There is this no. I'm going to quit my job and go become a photographer. Or, I got laid off, so now I'm going to go be a professional photographer. I mean, it works for a small amount of people, but being a starving artist doesn't make you more creative or more marketable. Marketable, or it's just it's like the can. Everyone's a starving artist if they've if they haven't reached the success yet. So we all want to put some romantic notion on it to make ourselves feel better, but it's bullshit. Like eating ramen noodles, starving, not having the gas money to go to like two towns over to show your portfolio to a meeting sucks. So if you can work part time or keep your job full time and do the photography and build that up until that photography income eclipses what you're making at your main job, then that's when you make the transfer. So, I mean, it worked for me because I worked in sales or I worked in restaurants and things where I could work hours and shifts where Monday through Friday, nine to five, I was Eric Vallon photography. No one knew the difference unless you happened to walk into the restaurant that I was working at, you know, but it was like, I didn't quit side jobs until I was making more with photography than I was in sales or working in the service industry. So it's, um, yeah, if you want to transition, that's exactly what it is. It's a transition. It isn't like this, I'm going to drop one and pick up the other. That's like a fast cut. You need to fade into that next career. There's no hit the ground running and you're just like, you know, and go. So, um, yeah, have a, have a marketing plan, a game plan, have an idea of like what genre you want to go into. Realistically assess who those clients might be and then start pursuing that right now, tomorrow. Make your list tonight. Go out and start calling them tomorrow. Go show your portfolio this weekend kind of thing. That's solid advice. So. Solid advice from Eric. Absolutely. I'm glad we finally had a chance to sit down and talk with you. It feels like we have been missing connections or we've run into each other in Cologne. but yeah, Everywhere in the world. It's great. You've been, <laughs> yeah. you've been really busy, and uh, I'm glad we had a chance to sit down and talk with you. So thank you so much. We yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Go ahead, plug. all. Where can we find yeah, you? Tell, Cross tell the forms where you can find Yeah, uh, check me out at ericvallon.com, E-R-I-K-V-A-L-I-N-D.com. It's got all my social media, and I'm uh, – 
Eric V Photo on Twitter and Instagram and all that. So E R I K V Photo. Uh, it's got my upcoming workshops. I post a ton of behind the scenes, and um, I'm an open resource to you guys. So if you have questions about gear or business or anything really photo related, or if it's just like funny life related questions, uh, hit me up. And I'm always on my phone, so I'm happy to get back to people. So it's not like one of those like faceless bullshit where I have a studio manager and all this kind of stuff, and you go through seven layers. It's like no, I'm a guy from Florida who likes taking pictures of people having fun, and I've just been successful at that and i'm happy to share it awesome awesome well congratulations eric you're off to a great career i love following you um i'm real proud, I'm real proud. <laughs> thanks man thanks. <laughs> no that's awesome thanks so much and uh i think i'll see you later tonight maybe yeah oh yeah cool thanks a lot guys appreciate it cheers this podcast has been brought to you by capture one pro 10 the preferred imaging software of professional photographers due to its versatility and to the outstanding image quality delivered straight from the camera. Well, that's all she wrote for this one. Thanks for listening. Now get out of here and start shooting. This podcast is officially over. Over and out. Catch you next time, dude. How good is good enough?